Welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name is Eric Dreitzer. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to a very special election episode of Counterpunch Radio. See, I didn't even assign it a number. This is unprecedented, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. We had an election. I don't know if you are aware of this. I don't know if you heard, but we had an election in the United States. And as we're speaking, it's been less than 24 hours since uh, word came down from from the heavens like poison manna that uh, Donald Trump is the next president of the United States. So considering this ideological criminality and considering this earth-shattering development, I had to get the uh, the political iconoclast himself, Paul Street, onto the show <laughs> to discuss the latest developments and to discuss, oh, Jesus Christ, where are we going now? So, Paul Street, welcome back to Counterpunch Radio. Friend of the show, Paul Street. Uh, thank you so much, Eric. How about that Cubs? How about those Chicago Cubs, huh? Well, you know what? The Chicago Cubs win the World Series and America goes fascist. So, you know, I guess... They said, it, I, <laughs> they said everything would go to hell if the Cubs won the World Series. Well, so there, there you go. There you go. I, the, I you say know, that as a White Sox fan. It's the curse of the Billy Goat. Come come back to bite us. But that's um, it's the real curse. The, the oh curse of the Billy, the Billy the curse of the Billy Trump, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, exactly. Instead of a little beard, it's on his head. Um right. anyway, okay, Paul. Let's break it down. I who right. who knows where the f to begin. So this is this <laughs> that's is gotta just, come off. Right. Well, we'll see. I don't know if I'll bleep it or not. Um I see. Right. so I, I mean what do you? What's your first take? Let's let's start there. What's your first take from all of this? What's your takeaway? Because well, one of my well, I've got a number. One of them is uh, you know as critical as you and I and many of us on the on the so-called hard left, where it's just so hard. Yes. Uh, you know, as critical as we were of um, <clears throat> Sanders, and I think for some very good reasons, uh, I think he would have walked away with this. Oh, he would have wiped the floor with Trump. Yeah, I really do. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Furthermore, I, probably on single payer alone. Uh, you know, th th this would have been a case if they had had the balls, the guts, or the wherewithal to nominate him. And, you know, Trump was right. It was rigged against Bernie on numerous levels. We know this from uh, WikiLeaks and other sources. But anyway, you know, um, they, they'd had the, the guts to, to put him forward. I really would have had to think seriously if it was Bernie versus Trump, right? Yeah, Alienated, super hard, radical leftist like myself. Really would have had to actually think about doing lesser evil voting, which I always denounce. You know, in this particular case, and um, I think a lot of folks that normally sit it out, that sat it out this time, uh, you know, would have done that. They, there, there really was a, a kind of social democracy. There's a, a huge problem on imperialism and on the military budget. Bernie just couldn't deal with it. it, it but but there, there was a serious attempt to sort of move somewhat to the social democratic left in the Sanders campaign. And they treated him like crap and they rigged it against him and they insisted on putting forward this incredibly unpopular uh, um, uh, right-wing corporate Democrat who was described by Adolph Reed in an essay telling leftists to vote for her as a, um, described as a lying neoliberal warmonger. Um, and is described by Aaron Gupta uh, before he wrote an essay telling everyone that we all better vote for Hillary or we're going to be living under fascism. He used to call her a right-wing uh, fanatic. And those are seemed like accurate descriptions of her. She has a very uh, clear record as a militant uh, right corporatist Democrat going back three decades, back to Little Rock. 
uh, and even more so as a as a remarkably militaristic arch imperial uh, uh, war hawk. And um, you know, I did a piece on Truth Dig last Friday called "Donald Hillary and the Left: The Election and Its Aftermath," um, in which I pretty much the only thing I got wrong was the outcome. I thought, like most of us on the left, I thought she'd get by. Some of us on the left thought there was going to be a landslide. Um, I was more towards thinking she would she would squeak by, and oh, then I, the, I'm the on electoral record. map would. I am yeah. on record saying it would be a landslide. And so I, I'm, I'm, I thought I'm she, eating I thought a significant she'd squeak amount. By. Of, yeah, I left and I always leave open the possibility that he could win. And I said the main reason he would win, if he does, would be her contempt her utter contempt, and the, the, the top leadership of the Democratic Party's contempt. This is all over uh, WikiLeaks and all over all kinds of stuff for the white working class. Paul, um, you, you know, you know I, I got to say this. First of all, I sure. happily admit to have been 100% wrong in my prediction. I thought it wouldn't even be close. And um, so here I am, you know, eating eating crow on that one. Sure. But more importantly, um, I think... Well, you and Andrew Levine and a few others, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, I, you know, but see, this is what I'm getting at, is that the notion, the, the notion of this being a surprise, I think this is an important point <laughs> to make because yeah. I am not surprised at all at the level of rage in this country. I live in it. I oh. know it, you know. Uh, I'm not surprised at all how many people gravitated to Trump and the kind of message he was putting out there, this sort of quasi-populist, quasi-fascist, uh, white nationalist mm -hmm. rhetoric that he was using. It doesn't surprise me at all that people gravitated to any of that. It doesn't surprise me how much people reviled Hillary Clinton. What really surprised me and what I'm still in shock over is how weak the elites are in the United States right now. Uh -huh. the, the notion sure. that with right. all of the big capital, the big banks, the big media, big pharma, all of these massive institutions of the, 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 the system in the United States, all almost, almost, and I'm not saying entirely because I've written about this too, but almost right. entirely behind Hillary and Trump still won, and it wasn't really even that close. The fact that they couldn't deliver the candidate of their choice, I think, speaks volumes, and I'm frankly really surprised. Uh, you know, I think that's an excellent point. I had that thought, not as articulately as you just expressed it, uh, earlier today. I think I had it at 10.52 a.m., and it is really quite incredible. Um, um, this this was sort of Hillary was the Republican candidate and the Democratic candidate. Exactly. She was the she was the candidate of uh, big business and and also the candidate of the all powerful Council on Foreign Relations, yep. you know, Trilateral Commission, the Builder Builder Big Group. I'm mispronouncing it. You know, the foreign policy establishment. You know, and this really does make us think about. Uh, apparently, there is some relative autonomy of uh, politics, at least. I don't want to bring up relative autonomy of the state. Um, you know, uh, there, there is there's a vacuum. There, there is a certain kind of withering of, of the manufacturing consent, power, and influence of, um, of the neoliberal uh, elites that they've let this happen. It's, 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 it's a really quite extraordinary kind of um, development. But, you know, um, there's all these people out there that are just sort of invisible. 
you know, and they work uh, 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 anonymous working class kinds of jobs, even here in Iowa City, cleaning parking ramps and, uh, you know, routine maintenance. And, uh, you know, many of them live in fairly small working class cottages on the outskirts of town out by the airport or live in in, in, in trailer parks uh, um, who 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 just have gotten nothing, nothing at all. Uh, um, from the Democrats, uh, nothing really but sort of contempt. I mean, oh, uh, you know, on top of the the policy abandonment, right? The complete bailout of the very elites who collapsed the economy and who have overseen uh, a, a, a pathetic kind of recovery that has just continued to distribute more and more wealth into fewer hands. I mean, Bernie Sanders was right. I looked at the data. Less than one tenth of one percent now owns almost ninety percent of the wealth in this country. And uh, these people have some very good reasons to be angry about that. It's not just the policy abandonment, you know, and the, the, the health care premiums that they're paying. That's something I'm not hearing much about, but was there was a lot of news about that in the last couple of weeks of the election. Um, and, you know, and, 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 and wages, not being able to keep up with prices. And then, and then, you know, Obama used to call white working class people. What did he say? They, they were bitter and they cling to guns and religions and their small, the small towns. I mean, Hillary sort of doubled down on the, con- on the contempt with the term deplorable. She referred to half of Trump supporters, you know, as deplorables. Uh, which was understood in her talk, which was leaked, you know, to mean homophobic, racist, nativist, and all of that. Well, there is there is nativism and there is racism in the white working class, but there's also a lot of other things uh, that go on in it. And, and while I don't think her comment was quite as bad as uh, Romney's 47%, which really sunk him in 2012, uh, it was somewhat in that league, and it just gave ammo to the Trump people. They loved it. They put it on their T-shirts. These working-class white women, or 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 lower middle-class or small business-class women, put on nice pink T-shirts that said, "I am an adorable, deplorable." Yeah. And it was just a great conversation point I for them. That well, was, I believe that was door the white, to door. I believe that was yeah. the white working class calling. I mean, you might have missed that call. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that was that was a Trump and proletarian on the line. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think you you coined that term, didn't you? Yeah. I, hey, thank you so much for saying that right now. You know, if I'm going to take one thing out of all of this, I do believe that I was the first person to say Trump and proletarian. Yeah, uh, like, well, like I, a year I, and a half when ago. You came up with the term. I had a job uh, in which I was working with with Trump and proletarians, and I and. And the exit polls are lining up with my anecdotal experiences. You have these fascinating conversations with these white working class people you in know, this blue campus town. And it wasn't one percent they hate so much as the professional class, all the, the the professors and the the doctors who lorded over them every day, in driving around in their beamers in the parking lots of the University of Iowa. Let and me give you let me yeah. give you another piece of anecdotal because this one is also really instructive for me because I think it. It at least gave me some window into some of this phenomenon. Somebody who I respect tremendously, who sure. was in many ways a mentor for me, um, who, I mean, is instrumental in in helping me along in terms of my career path and stuff. Uh, yeah. He supported Trump. This is a college-educated person yeah. who has voted Republican since yeah. 1972 or whatever, uh, who is, the, I mean, the most the most wonderful guy I could ever 
imagine, you know, super nice, great to his staff, the people who worked for him, always was really receptive to everybody's need. I mean, this is a genuinely great guy, and I wouldn't sure. say that if that weren't true. And he was vocally supportive of Trump for a long time, really for almost from the beginning. And you know what occurred to me? Every time I would hear the liberals condescend towards every Trump supporter as if every Trump supporter was some hillbilly redneck, you know, Klansman or something, I would think of this gentleman and I would say sure. to myself, the liberals are burying themselves with this sort of condescension because the reality is there are millions of people in the United States who have voted Republican who right. feel that the Republicans screwed them them every time and they were on the Trump bandwagon not because they love everything about Trump not because they didn't realize that he was flawed but because Trump was the only one who would say the truth and that is that the Republican Party the neocons of the Republican Party are degenerates and they failed well you know that's a good point he had a lot of guts uh, in terms of attacking his own the, the leadership of the party he was affiliated with really much more than Bernie Sanders had uh, from the left in the, in the uh, Democratic Party. I had conversations with Trump voters uh, in which it showed that they really weren't particularly impressed by Trump. Yeah, uh, exactly. had all kinds of issues with Trump. They didn't really like his attitude towards women and, and, and uh, immigrants and so forth. But they, they viewed him as the lesser evil compared to Hillary Clinton, who in some of the more articulate union-connected people I talked to, uh, they had a very strong and accurate sense of her connection to North American Free Trade Agreement. Uh, and on to neoliberalism more generally, I will never forget, I think it was the third debate. I, I don't remember what they all meld into each other. Those, I, I, in my writing, I put presidential debates in quote, quote marks because they were really neither. Um, but at one point, Trump was, was going off and saying, you know, they, I think a lot of us on the left had this experience with Trump. You know, he's appalling on so many various levels, but then he would say these things that were just sort of absolutely true, I right? I know, right. I know. And, and that, that, that the Democrats couldn't say. And one that I remember in particular was he was talking about NAFTA had cost millions of the nation's forgotten blue-collar working people their livelihoods and their jobs. You know, and as he was saying it, they had the split screen on TV, and Hillary was making one of those faces. Yep. You know, it's as if he had just said something as idiotic as Barack Obama wasn't born in the United States. Yep. And I'm like, sorry, the birther stuff is nuts, but that's accurate. And guess what, Hillary? You really did say that the Trans-Pacific Partnership was the gold standard of, uh, of, of free trade agreements when you were Secretary of State. You know, it's, it's, it's really, I think, uh, it's a pretty monumental moment, uh, one that maybe is really only once in a lifetime, and it's, it's scary, and it's, it's uh, you know, there's a lot to be worried about, but I think that, you know, part of what it means to really be on the left or, you know, to be a Marxist or whatever is to really take a, a materialist analysis and to focus on reality and to take stock of what's just happened. And quite frankly, the, 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 the truth is that people just didn't care about all of the flaws. What they liked was that finally here was somebody who in their minds was speaking the truths, the unspoken, that which must not be spoken. You know, I'll give you one example, just pointing back to the mm. anecdote I gave earlier. 
this is somebody who always votes Republican, and you know what he told me? He said, I'm so sick and f***ing tired of these evangelical lunatics in the Republican Party. That's <laughs> yeah. what he said. He said, yeah. he said, I vote for Republicans, but I don't want to defund Planned Parenthood. They do a lot of important work. I don't want to yeah. go after all of these different programs just because, you know, some, like, hard right-wing Christians don't like it. He's like, but so where am I and where are the millions of other people like me? And guess what? Trump capitalized on that and I think that the left needs to understand that not saying that we have to like Trump or anything I mean Trump is now enemy number one and has to be attacked and has to be oh, destroyed sure. in every way but the reality of what we've just witnessed must be taken into account well you talk about materialism I can't remember where somewhere in Bertolt Brecht there's a line that says uh, you know uh, first the grub and then tell us about the morality later. Yeah, yes. Uh, you know, first material reality, and then and then hit us with the political correctness. And so, you know, all the ridiculous, sexist, bullshit nonsense, and it's really horrible. I mean, Trump really is an absolutely horrible human being. Oh, no doubt. But Jesus Christ, he, he, he pointed out that the American dream has died for millions of, I'll repeat the phrase, it's, it merits repetition, of, for millions of forgotten working class Americans in the deindustrialized post-farm, you know, uh, uh, hinterlands of the country. Uh, they are out there and they don't like being called deplorables and they don't like having their jobs shut down and sent to Korea or, or Taiwan or Mexico or Thailand or, you know, or God knows where. I mean, that's a little bit of a materialist problem there. Yeah. And they don't like and they don't like being and they don't like being, you know, being described as, you know, closet clansmen. And they don't like, you know, they don't like any of that. And the fact is and let me point out something else, Paul, I want to get your take on this. In the last couple of days leading up to the election, you saw Hillary Clinton on stage smiling and hugging whatever with Jay-Z and Beyonce and all of these <laughs> celebrities and everything. It was like she was digging herself deeper. Does she? Did they not understand that that was exactly what the Trump people were gravitating to Trump to, 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 to push back against? It didn't help Hillary's cause. If anything, it hurt her cause because again, it showed that she's in the Hollywood Wall Street bubble that the majority of of Americans not only aren't a part of, but that they despise. Yeah, and I don't think it particularly helped her with black voters either. I haven't seen all the turnout numbers on the black vote, but I'm sure it was less than came out for um, Obama, you know, and again, you know, I believe 38 percent wow. non-participation in the well, black that's community, quite, which is that's a huge, quite significant. Yep. Well, uh, some blacks have a uh, a memory of some of the not so nice uh, race, racist aspects of the first two Clinton administrations in the well, the first two and only right <laughs> in the 1990s, the welfare reform and the uh, three strikes uh, uh, crime bill. Um, you know, I mean, and Trump, it's oddly enough, um, it, it was kind of gross the way he talked about race, but he actually pointed, you know, he repeatedly. Uh, uh, made some sort of pointed and somewhat accurate comments about how the age of Obama has been really, hasn't done much of anything for black America and how difficult conditions really are. They're, they really are in the inner city. They're really quite horrible. They're really quite horrific on numerous levels. And sort of Hillary's response to that was, oh, but there's all kinds of great things going on too. Well, my <laughs> God, I could tell you about 15 neighborhoods in Chicago where then more than half of the kids are growing up at less than half 
the federal poverty level. I mean, there's no grocery stores, there's no green space. Uh, parents, parents are afraid to even let their kids go walk around the neighborhood because of the uh, gang activity. I mean, I, you know, it's just, you talk about materialism, you know, it's as if Trump was more Marxist about the ghetto than uh, she was. And of course, his solutions are horrible, right? Well, what's exactly. the solution? Restore law and order. Law and and order. I mean, he actually even is still defending the Central Park uh, five conviction that he uh, that he trailblazed in the eighties, yeah, which is just revolting. Yeah, oh, and let's have a stop person. and frisk law, a national stop and frisk law, right, right, Donald? That's that's a declaration of national racial martial law. Yeah, no, there's no doubt, and and all of these things are going to be the fronts on which uh, we attack. Uh, dare I say it? I have to say it, President Trump. President. Uh, you know. And um, the but, second president in our lifetime who uh, will have not won the popular vote. I mean, maybe we could stop and think about constitutional questions again just for a minute. Yeah, well, and, and, and the other thing that I that I want to point out here, though, and, and again, I I can already I can already sense people typing uh, hateful emails in my direction <laughs> as I say this. But Look, the reality is that there are a lot of Hispanics and a yeah. lot of blacks in the United States who just weren't buying Trump the racist bigot line. They weren't. Look at the numbers. Look at yeah. the numbers. Trump did better with Hispanics than Mitt Romney. Yeah. Trump Trump's Trump's numbers, are, I mean they're low. But I mean, he is a Republican white man. I mean, they were going to be low. They were not as low as a lot of people thought they were. Now, the question that I want to pose to you is, what do we take from that? Does that say more about Donald Trump and his campaign or more about the Hispanic or black demographics or about Hillary Clinton? I mean, how are we supposed to read the racist, proto-fascist pulling relatively decent numbers from minorities? Well, there's more conservatism, I think, sometimes than some people know in the black community. I remember when I was the research director at the Chicago Urban League, and uh, which is a pretty bourgeois organization. That's how he's paying the rent in the early 20th century. And, uh, you know, we came out with a study that inspired Michelle Alexander to write her book, The New Jim Crow. And it was, it was all about mass incarceration and um, felony marking and what having a felony record does to your prospects in life, particularly job prospects, but other ones as well. And I went on black radio and I was really kind of taken aback at first by how many calls came in from uh, sort of fairly conservative, socially conservative African-American. Such people exist. There's more conservatives um, in the Latino community, probably in the black community. And there's a lot of sort of uh, Catholic family values and, and a kind of a community sense and uh, that, that, that kind of looks down uh, sometimes upon neighboring black neighborhoods in Chicago or New York City or name your major metro area. Um, sometimes some of the Mexican-American population sort of political profile sort of reminds me a little bit of um, Italian-Americans on the uh, near west side of Chicago or in uh, Bensonhurst in, in, in uh, you know, in New York. There's uh, there, there are those there are those tendencies. I, I'm not that surprised to um, to see them, particularly among people who've been here longer. Uh, I worked out at a plant here in Iowa City last year. And was really taken aback by how many of, of the African workers, I literally African, Congolese and, and uh, Sudanese, had very conservative attitudes towards the black American 
workers uh, living in a ghetto across the street from the plant, but also many of the more established Latino Mexican American workers uh, not having a lot of sympathy for Hondurans and El Salvadorans and more recent Mexican uh, arrivals. Yeah. Uh, they had some resentment of. So I, this happens. Yeah. I think I think that there's another aspect to this though that really needs to be addressed, and I guess it sort of relates back to something I said a little bit earlier, and that is that. Look, I mean, the the Trump, the uh, fascist Trump with the lynch mobs on the streets and the deportation squads and all of that. I mean, this was this was the character, the persona, the caricature that was created by the corporate media and sold and packaged by the corporate media. And there is a huge percentage of the targeted demographic that was not buying it. And I think that is something that is really critical that the the monopoly over information for the corporate media may sure. very well be dead. Well, you know, okay, that's that's another point. I was just going to say bear in mind that Obama set new records for deportation. Uh deported more than Bush. Uh he just did it in a in a in a typically obamanistic uh more subtle and sophisticated kind of way, right? With uh, instead of the high profile raids, you know, in places like Marshalltown, Iowa, that attracted so much negative attention um, under Bush's administration, you know, Obama very cleverly had people go in and check social security numbers and more quietly deport folks. And I, I suspect a lot of Latino Americans know that, right? They, they, they know that, that the, the having a Democrat in the White House is no particular Shangri-La uh, for their immigration status. Well, and, and I think that there was also the feeling among a lot of them, and I, I don't want to speak for the entire community, but just anecdotally from people I've spoken to, I think there are a lot of people in some of these minority communities who take a real issue with liberals harping on things like gay marriage, transgender issues, thing, you know, things of, of that. Well, that's, uh, that's of, just kind of what I was getting yeah, at was it's the that, analogies with Italian-Americans and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do apologies to my Italian. American bread, but in other ethnic groups, you go Eastern, South, Central Europeans. Yeah, that there's a kind of uh, there's a kind of white, almost white ethnic uh, sort of conservatism related to Catholicism that exists in that, that community. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And there's also with a lot of people in Latin America. I've been people. I don't know people. How many people ever watched? Listen to you. Watch television in uh, in Ecuador, Latin America, El Salvador. Uh, those horrible sexist images of women you know, that, that, uh, that Trump is so associated with are just rife across Latin American TV. I think also, I think also that um, one thing that really strikes me in, in hindsight here is it just, it seems like going through this election, it felt like Hillary was scandal proof almost you know that that you could that you know i made a joke on social media at one point you know a number of weeks ago that you know wikileaks has revealed that hillary clinton eats children before she goes to bed at night you know yeah, and and sure. and we could believe it right because it's hillary, pedophilic but it cannibalism have, is usually a drawback yeah right sure well hey but you know for some for 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 hillary it didn't seem to impact her but now that this is all transpired I guess I have to flip it on its head. Trump is the one who seems scandal-proof. Trump is the one who was really unaffected by the pussy-grabbing, you know, issue, by the sexism, the race. I mean, all of these different things that came out, man, it didn't impact his numbers. It was Hillary who was sunk.
Well, I think Hollywood access was a blow for a while, but uh, but it but but it passed. Yeah, um, it's it's <laughs> I don't know I don't know quite entirely uh, what that's all about. But I think Bertolt Brecht's comment might again be relevant. It's people are much more concerned with bottom line than they than, than you know, and and she, and she was viewed as as highly untrustworthy. Anyway, I think a lot of people make sort of materialist calculations. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit, right? But they're they're all dirty. They're all filthy. Um, you know, and this guy had the great advantage from from while he had scandals, they were scandals from outside the political class. They were scandals from outside the Washington Beltway. They were a different kind of scandals. They were even sort of scandals that probably a lot of people can relate to there were the and kind play. of scandals you would yeah. expect from a billionaire real reality tv guy you know right. that there was nothing that came out about trump that was ever a surprise and yet hillary is the one who really was unable to overcome all of these different things now the truth truth be told you know the reality is that hillary clinton scandals are in many ways much much worse Oh my God! You mean like uh, a pay-for-play system uh, uh, with uh, enabling Saudi Arabia to influence the foreign policy of the United States government through the sure. State Department, yeah. and yeah, while funding while like funding that. the Islamic State, which cuts people's heads off, yeah. things like that. Little things, yeah. little things like that, you know. And um, it's funny because Trump has the, had this way of constantly bringing up the right issue. For the totally wrong reasons and and articulating it in the worst way imaginable. So he would bring up Libya and he would say, "What a disaster!" And then what would he what would he point to? The four Americans who were killed, the working for the CIA, running guns and terrorists into Syria. You know, like I'm right. we're, we're supposed to shed all of our tears for the CIA operatives that got killed. And obviously, it's for right. the hundreds right. of thousands of Libyans, all the black Libyans who were lynched and murdered, and all of the rest of that. Trump wouldn't bring yeah. that up. But yeah, just yeah, well, the issue. That's what makes Lib Libya a disaster because four CIA agents. Yeah, right, killed. exactly. Right. But he brought yeah. it up and it worked. And I'm just, there is, I can't, I, to, I have to be honest, there is, there is a tiny piece of me that takes great satisfaction in watching her roasted over these just grievous crimes that she's committed. Well, you know, there are some areas to have to feel some uh, positive feeling about. I mean, people almost feel guilty about that on, on the left. I and definitely feel guilty about it. That, that's, that's one of them. Uh, the likelihood of standing down from a dangerous confrontation with Russia, sure. which was a distinct possibility under a Hillary Clinton presidency because of her insane rhetoric about a no-fly zone over Syria, which just exacerbates her longstanding uh, Zygabinu, Brzezinski, and Madeleine Albright-esque, you know, uh, provocation of the oh, Russian, of the she, Russian beast. I mean, profoundly dangerous. Yeah. On stage, on a nationally televised debate, that the right. military option was on the table with Russia. I, oh, okay. I, I mean, I, you know, yeah. and, and in a speech to the American Legion. She right. said military options, political, economic, and military options against yeah. Russia. Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, this is lunacy of the first order. Right, right. Well, I mean, John Pilger has been writing about this and speaking about this and how Obama has been setting some of this up and how she was just in a position to take this to the next level. Uh, very Council on Foreign Relations. There's a bellicosity now, this tilt, uh, tilt to Asia and this tilt against 
Russia that uh, you know really could uh, could 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 trigger uh, an apoc- a number of apocalyptic scenarios and 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 make the Russians just even more justifiably paranoid uh, than they already are. And this goes back with the Clintons. The Clintons play a very big role in the uh, betrayal of the promise you know, to Gorbachev, right? That foolish Gorbachev believing that, that, you know, we won't expand NATO one inch uh, uh, um, eastward. Well, you know, yeah, right. But I mean, they, they, these folks just have a bee in their bonnet about about Russia that is profoundly dangerous. So, I mean, you know, that that's that's something to be, uh, um, you know, I, I, I do feel a certain sigh of relief that we won't have warmonger Hillary pushing over the edge of nuclear apocalypse. I mean, that doesn't mean that that does not mean that, that uh, Trump hasn't said ridiculous things about nuclear weapons and torture and has something going on about Iran that is unproductive as well. Paul, I'm, I, I'm wondering, are, are you saying these things and am I saying these things out of our white privilege? Uh, well, you know, um, you sound like Angela Davis. Uh, well, I mean, I'm I'm asking. I'm, I'm it very concerned. I'm very concerned about the. Yeah, I'm very concerned about the the the, the racial consequences Absolutely. of uh, of Trump. You know, and to hear him call for a, a national stop and frisk law, I mean, and to talk about rounding millions of people up and deporting from the country, it's it it, it truly is horrific. I would hope we could chew gum and walk at the same time, and and have some relief that. Uh, Hillary's not going to be doing what Diana Johnstone said she would do and, you know, take things in a dangerous direction in a geopolitical sense. We could combine that with a very real concern about uh, Trump's racism. I mean, I, I don't think it's one, one, one or the other. There is, there is a, a feeling that I think a lot of people have. Uh, well, I don't know about a lot of people. Some people may have it. Uh, I've certainly thought about it, at least. And, and, and that's this question. I want to get your take on it. Is mm. it possible that the kinds of um, the kinds of issues on which we would have to confront and stop Hillary were simply um, uh, impossible. In other words, Hillary wants to start a war with Russia. Well, we saw what happens when you have hundreds of thousands of people in the streets in an anti-war rally to stop a war. It didn't do anything in 2003. Right. We had the war. Right. Whereas Trump and some of the things that he has said, I think that we might be able to more effectively organize against that than we ever could against Hillary's march to war in Russia and and a mushroom cloud in the Middle East and and ringing China with, with missile defense systems. I mean, these are things that are very difficult to organize around and forget about mobilizing liberals. But now we have Trump, and now we have the question of outright racism and fascism here in the United States. Does that mean we can organize and mobilize more effectively? Uh, well, you know, it it may, uh, you know, it, it's there. There's there's part of me has always said that it's it's useful to have Democrats in the White House, um, in part because it's it's it, it 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 lets the other capitalist party, not just the Republicans, but the Democrats own some of the stink of the system. I mean, I like to see young people experience that everything still sucks, you know, when when you have a Democrat in the White House, and I get concerned when there's a Republican in the White House that everything ends up, particularly the closest you get to the next election day, then everything gets sucked into a get out the vote program on the theory that what's wrong with the country is that the wrong party, yeah. you know, 
is in the White House. There is something, I, I do think there's something happened under Obama that was helpful, a kind of a disappointment, you know, and that that educational experience, that, that things were still terrible. Kind of well, like the new left in the 60s under Kennedy, except in foreign I, policy. I got to push back, in, I'm sorry, I got to push no, back no, against except that. Except in foreign policy, and, and there was none of that. Obama just killed the anti-war movement. It seems like the country's incapable of handing anti-war, anti-war movement when there's a Democrat in the White House. They need a Republican. Yeah. You've said it on this show before. I just I I can't see it. I I understand it in concept, but in yeah. practice, having lived through the last eight years of Obama, I don't see any liberals being disabused of any illusions. If anything, they're more <laughs> deeply ingrained now. And 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 so while what you're saying, no, no, to I me- I wasn't talking about just you know established liberals being disillusioned. I'm talking about sort of just educationally some young folks like they like the occupy. I, I actually heard explicit okay. comments that were sort of like out of that thesis from Occupy people, you know, who, who I, I mean, so it's a little different than what no, you I, I know what you're getting at. I know what you're yeah. getting at. I just, I, I, there was a time there that I really subscribed to that. And now I'm not so sure. I, I, I'm not sure that any level of criminality from a Democrat in a White House would ever change the minds of liberals because at the end of the day their 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 mindset is so rigidly uh binary that they just can't see anything beyond it and so you know i'm wondering well this this could this listen this could be yeah that could be another silver lining there's just people seem to be unable a lot of people seem to be just unable to really hit the streets and stay in the streets and and really do that howard's in fighting people's politics when there's a Democrat in the White House and they're more able to do it when there's a Republican. I think Trump, too, is so awful and hideous and illegitimate that he kind of there's a there could be a delegitimization factor that we might like. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous that Donald. I mean, this guy from reality TV is the president of the country. And I think that might sort of spill over and, and, and help us just disabuse ourselves yeah. of the notion of these institutions did that i mean it's good that he didn't win the popular vote there's notion that this institution that called american presidential elections it has any legitimacy i mean give me a break it's a joke now here's here's a danger that we really need to be uh thinking about okay so trump is trump wins the trump wins the presidency trump comes into office with the mandate and the mandate has to do with certain specific things that he has harped on all throughout this campaign uh leaving aside the building a wall and making mexico pay for it and all the some of the more uh silly things that he has Luster. said you know yeah. he really made his bed on the free trade issue and on the working class issues and when trump doesn't deliver on that i see a huge danger for all of us because that then means that the last hope that the most reactionary elements of the working class had has evaporated and where do they go they go to their scapegoats their tried and true scapegoats that is a very dangerous uh you know slippery slope as it were well, we need real left alternatives organizationally, both on a day-to-day level and hopefully in the electoral uh, arena, because uh, part of what, what, what drives and fuels the right, I mean, and this has terrible parallels with Weimar Germany, is this, uh, this incredible uh, uh, vacuum of, of, of um, actually progressive left-leaning leftist voices um, uh, to channel popular resentment, um, very legitimate popular populist 
working class resentment, you know, in progressive kinds of ways. I mean, another benefit we might talk about is maybe this is the final discrediting this election of the corporate neoliberal Democratic Leadership Council, Hamilton Project, Council of Foreign Relations, uh, Dem establishment. I mean, my God, all this talk of the crisis of the Republican Party. I mean, are you kidding me? They've got all three branches of federal government. They've got most of the of, of the state governments. How about the crisis of the Democratic Party under the leadership of people like the Clintons and Barack Obama and Bob Rubin and Podesta, you know, and the Democratic National Committee? I mean, my God, this that whole rightward uh, control of the Democratic Party needs to be dead and buried once and for all. I mean, I don't know if I'm advocating a left takeover of the Democratic Party, which seems rather fantastic, or a gravitation towards some other uh, electoral avenues and formations. But uh, in the absence of that, then yeah, then then that disappointment will just get channeled into a more serious, uh, actually fascist movement uh, that'll go beyond the buffoonish clown uh, Trump, you know, the next Trump is, is, is the thing to really watch out for. Well, that's, and that's exactly what I've been saying for like two years maybe it, now. Maybe it's know? name is Pence, right? Yeah, well, that's, I've been saying exactly that, that, that Trump is not the person who scares me. It's whoever follows Trump and picks up the movement or the shambles of a movement uh, or whatever. It well, there be. is an aspect of Christian fascism uh, with, with Pence and you know, if there there are reputable reports that that early on Trump offered uh, just you know foreign and also domestic policy yeah. to Kasich to Kasich yep. if, he, if Kasich would agree to be his vice presidential candidate. Well, what's to what's to say that that same offer wasn't made to Pence? And you know, after all, Trump doesn't look like a guy who has the attention span for policy and for governance. He looks he looks like a guy who wants to hand that over to somebody else. So yeah. Pence, Pence is something that I underestimated in my political writing on this, my dismissal um, a while back in truth of the fascist dangers associated with Trump. Uh, I wish I'd thought more about Pence and what he represents. So the other thing that uh, comes to my mind, though, in thinking about this, you know, one sure. of the one of the. Um, central uh you know core messages of the nazi party in its ascendance was the notion that germany had been stabbed in the back stabbed in the back by the jews stabbed in the back by the communists stabbed in the back and that's why world war one was lost and that's why your lives are terrible and that's the problem the problem is that we were stabbed in the back by these particular groups now the reason i bring that up is because if we play out a scenario here where Trump wins Trump wins the election, Trump is inaugurated, and we have full social movements in full force against Trump from day one, what's going to happen if Trump is ultimately stymied and he's not able to deliver on the things that he's promised and he turns around and says it's because of these people? These are the people who are stopping us from building a wall. It's Black Lives Matter. It's the indigenous groups. It's the, the ACLU. Pipeline, it's all the of pipeline these. Fighters. The pipeline fighters. The pipeline fighters who are standing in the way of the complete deregulation of energy to make right. America great again. Yeah. These are the people who are preventing us from making America great again. This, to me, is frightening. This is a frightening Yeah, it's very scenario. frightening. I'll give you another reason to be frightened, too. I, when, I, I look at a Gallup poll 
every year and I've done it for, I don't know, the last 15 years or so. And it's amazing how consistent um, the top, the top two, it, 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 it's a poll of what are the most popular institutions in American life. Uh, and bone chillingly, it, and, and all of us left us cheer when we hear that corporations have low popularity, and when we hear that Congress has low popularity, and we hear the business sector, you know, blah blah blah. The top two most popular, again and again, are the military and the police. Yes. Yep. And the rank and file police were strong Trump supporters, and I have seen data says the rank and file military, though not the military brass, and of course that's a class difference, right? Uh, but the rank and file military likes uh, Trump. So, you know, um, that'll be your moment. Are we going to go from just sort of Sheldon Wolin esque uh, uh, inverted totalitarianism? You know, the Wolin said that the American model is different than the Soviet model or the fascist brown German Italian model in that it doesn't want to mobile. It doesn't mobilize, you know, petty bourgeois masses and throw them into the streets as brown shirts but uh you know nothing's forever maybe maybe uh you know at that point would it be enough to just have these sort of uh uh, uh obedient gendarmes you know like the like the uh, the like the county militarized county police up in north dakota that are you know shooting people with um rubber bullets do they move to uh, live ammunition and do they start enlisting sort of extra judicial uh, 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 um, uh, vigilante paramilitary vanguards along with them. Then, then, then you're looking at some actual fascism. Okay, absolutely. Now I know we're almost out of time, but I gotta, I gotta throw this in here. It's sort of like, you know, uh, uh, rogues gallery of questions, I guess. But Uh-oh. I don't know, I don't know, you know, how much people are reading about, you know, the, some of the cons- more conspiratorial theories around out there about what's happened in the last few days of this election, but one that I I just got to bring up because it's so freaking interesting. I read a very interesting theory, and as far as I know, this is just a theory from some hearsay, so I I make no claims to this being valid for sure, but supposedly the story goes that the NYPD got their hands on all of of Wiener's computers and Uh all all of his information. Yeah. And this theory holds that from that, the NYPD turned it over to Comey and the FBI and that the information on Wiener's computer had to do with the Clintons and their connections to Jeffrey Epstein and the and the pedophilia and child sex trafficking rings. We know as documented facts that Bill was on that jet with Epstein, which was a non-issue in this campaign. But I just I gotta I, I to me there is there is something about the relationship between Trump, the NYPD, and certain elements within the state, within the institutions of the state that. I'm not saying that's what happened, but it sure sounds plausible. Yeah. You know, to quote Schultz in Hogan's Heroes, uh, I know nothing (laughs) nothing about that. But that is uh, that is truly quite intriguing. If you consider Uh, if you consider how quickly this turned. okay, this turned in the last few days. Yeah. of this election. I think that's pretty clear. And I think there may be, I don't know, maybe something, if not that narrative, if not that theory, then maybe something else that happened that Trump was able to leverage the ruling class to find to to to, you know, more or less take their hands off of this and let him win. 
Well, listen, you, you can substantiate that. That 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 could be a career making uh, uh, expose to really follow through on it. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the Comey thing is really just incredible. Counterpunch had some very good pieces about that. Uh, the 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 the, um, the, um, uh, uh, the violation of the 60 day rule. I mean, and, and uh, you know, and, and to release something so politically sensitive so close to an election, it's just it's something that's something I've never seen in my but why? Uh, why would politi- you do it, Paul? Political lifetime. Yeah, why? I, I, I don't know. I, I, my, my, my belief, and I mean, I, you know, whatever. It's just theories. We could just talk about theories, right? My belief yeah. is that Comey really, really, really resented being threatened on the whitewashing of the first round. I think that I think that Comey felt that he had no choice but to whitewash the whole Hillary thing. And then after all of that, he was going to be humiliated by the fact that more Hillary emails came out and more information came out and he wasn't willing to take the fall for. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's certainly indicative of a kind of deep state in a bureaucracy that sort of uh, exists deeply entrenched within Washington's uh, beneath and beyond the marionette theater, you know, of, of candidate centered politics, you know, where Frontline does uh, uh, does its every quadrennial uh, documentary called Choice, right? No, Choice 2008, Choice 2012, Choice 2016, and just focuses on the most childish and silly personal stories about the candidates, you know, like when they were first potty trained and their first crush and their first job. And, and all of this, and meanwhile, beneath all of that, there's these these deeply embedded structures of power that sort of continue on uh, uh, beneath and beyond these elections. I, I saw a guy in the Iowa City Library the day, um, the, the afternoon of the election, waiting for the outcomes, and I said to him that I felt vaguely guilty that I had considerably more tension before Game 7 of the World Series. Actually, it was applies to games one through six too than I did before the outcomes of the election. He said, well, actually, that's probably makes sense because uh, all things considered, uh, whatever the outcome is tonight, the, the same basic institutions uh, are, going, are, going to, are going to be in power. Last question, Paul. Uh, the, hangover, the hangover will slowly fade away. What <laughs> do we do now? Well, uh, we really have to rethink uh, um, what our, our whole way of being uh, in in this society. I mean, I, I mean, I, I just think everything's open now. I mean, my God, I voted for Jill Stein. Jill Stein got was it one yep. percent of the vote? Yep. I mean, there is much more left sentiment in this country than one percent of the vote. So what's going on with our elect our, our electoral arms? We need through thick and thin organa. You know, I mean, I, I notice the struggle just constantly to have something that 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 can actually last. And we struggle to have places, you know, Zuccotti Park was a place, all these camps and these places right now. Standing Rock has become these places. Movements have always had places. We don't know where to um, build from. I'm very impressed by uh, the, the attempts to uh, stop the Dakota Access Pipeline, not just in North Dakota, but here in Iowa, it's very much about building institutions of, of encampment. It's, it's it's really kind of um, kind of interesting that way. And um, it's it's what one thing about the Iowa fighters who haven't gotten enough attention. It's really quite extraordinary what's happened down in southeast Iowa is the way they keep their eyes on the prize of a specific uh, 
issue. I mean, yeah, it's a very specific pipeline, and yeah, there's millions of pipelines underground across America, but this particular one has been one where people are sort of trying to draw a line in the sand and say enough to the cooking of the climate, and they really have resisted in an interesting way being sucked into electoral and candidate-centered politics and staying focused. I wish I stayed as focused on on particular issues. I think they need to broaden their sense of um, of, uh, of what they're fighting for. It's so much about water, and I want to hear more about climate, and ultimately it has to be about capitalism um, as a system. I don't know if that's much help, but uh, well, and, 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 I'm and, not giving you what I got right now. Well, yeah. and this president, is, and this president uh, upcoming president, is about to uh, try to kickstart or reinvigorate the, the freaking coal industry. So, I mean, we're not— I think it, energy is really critical with Trump. I think it's a key point. He's yeah. promised to deregulate energy. I think Chomsky's right that that could be— that that could be a death knell for the species. I was ready for Hillary to be the president. And so, you know, I, I, I believe the pollsters. And so I really thought the top priority was going to be to stop World War Three. I thought yeah. that, that that was that because that's the, the main thing would be to rebuild anti-war. Now, Trump, he seems to be uh, less likely, at least in a geopolitical sense, to want to spark off World War Three, but more likely to uh, uh, accelerate climate change uh, past tipping points that will never uh, recover from. And I go back and forth on which is the greatest threat to life on earth right now, thermonuclear World War III or um, or runaway climate change. I think now with Trump, our, our most immediate danger is probably uh, climate change. Okay. I said, I said it was my last question, but this is my last question. I promise you. Paul sure. Street, I'm putting you on the hot seat. It's not a real segment <laughs> I, on this show, but we're going to pretend it's a segment on this show. Right. Imagine theme music. Here's the yeah. hot seat question. Paul yeah. Street, do you regret at all being so hard on Bernie in the primaries? Would that oh, wow. would, would that have changed anything? Oh boy, that's a good question. When you think about uh, the the prospect, I, I uh, uh, no, I, not so much. And I'll tell you why. Uh, he did it to himself. I mean, I, I I said earlier in this interview that 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 Bernie would have prevailed. I really I, I really think that's true. Yep. I did a piece on on Counterpunch that was skeptical about that. But now that I look at the exit poll data and I see how Hillary lost and how it's about white working class, uh, I suspect it's very possible that Bernie would have. But God damn it, Sanders wasn't really in it to win it either. I think he was surprised by well he did how well he didn't see. I wasn't. I actually thought he would do exceedingly well, and 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 he I, and I think he got pissed off later and went a little bit more for it. But when but I knew early on was at the first debate when he gave her cover on the email thing yeah. and said the American people are tired of hearing about Hillary Clinton's emails. That to me said. Uh, this guy, that, that Bruce Dixon's right. This is a sheepdog. Yeah. I've also used the phrase Judas goat, but that told me right then and there that 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 he was right. You know, and also how often he was promising, even before he had to, that he will support the eventual Democratic presidential nominee. He, he was saying that from in Iowa City in December of 2014, before he even needed to. So, uh, you know, and I think there was a deal. I think it was understood. I think the Clintons were happy to have him in. He didn't expect to do as well as he did. Uh, and by the time he saw how good he could have done, it's too late. He'd given the game away. So, no, I don't. Plus, he was so bad on foreign policy that uh, his progressive agenda uh, was undermined by his own imperial commitments. So, screw Bernie, with all due respect. 
The question, the question being whether you regret uh, being so hard on Bernie. I think a better, the better question is, do we all, can we all, can we all just agree that Bernie may have thrown away the presidency? There you go. Yeah, yeah, I think he might have. All right, Paul. I, I think he might have. I don't know if they would have let him through, but yeah, I think he would have won. Right. Exactly. Well. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, Who knows? Because this... a lot of establishment money that went to Hillary might have ended up going to Trump when you had a, a so-called democratic socialist on the Democratic. Well, ticket. and I saw a meme. I saw a great meme on Facebook. Uh, it was a it was a picture of Bernie when Hillary was hugging him, presumably after he gave her his his little nod there. And uh, the 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 text on the bottom of the meme simply said, "Get the f off me." <laughs> Yeah, and also I don't know what photos anybody might have had on Bernie from 20 years ago. Oh, good lord! Okay, on that note, on that <laughs> that's, note, that's not a, that's not a pleasant thought. Well, <laughs> this is not a this is not a week for pleasant thoughts. Uh, Paul Street, thank you again for coming on Counterpunch Radio. This very special election bloody bloody blah episode. Uh, thanks, Paul. Talk to you soon, listeners. You thank you as always. Talk to you again real soon. 